Skype is telling me to avoid legal snags by telling you that we're recording. So this is me legally notifying you that we're recording. So that that's I don't a really that's really good advice. I like that it told you that while it also said, you know, Ben Miller is recording the call. <laughs> Um, because what exactly just, is a legal to... snag? How bad is that? <laughs> How many years can you get for that? Um, <laughs> Your Honor, this is nothing more than legal snaggery. Um, this does yeah, not rise I mean, to the level of a snafu. Ooh, ooh, I think if it rises to a snafu level, then then you're no longer talking about civil court. Um yeah, you can't go to Judge Judy for that. That's got to be. You can't go to Judge Judy for, for a snafu, just for a snag. a lot of um ads for judge judy these days on like i don't know different streaming services i don't think i've ever seen an ad for judge judy i'm getting i'm getting one maybe it's not for judge judy it's for some tv judge though but it just it 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 has a guy or the judge is saying like what could drive a man to steal someone else's avocados and then there's just like a long pause and the the defendant goes guacamole and it's just, it's a good, it's a good ad. I mean, I wonder what you're doing to the algorithm that it thinks, you know, <laughs> this guy's not, not only does he need this courtroom, uh, drama, reality show, whatever you call those yeah. things, but he, he needs this guacamole. He's going to respond to this guacamole. I, joke. <laughs> I respond well to Jack's best guacamole. <laughs> the worst part is it's right I wish I wish it weren't, but it is. It's very right. <laughs> Gives you the, um, the urge to hunt down some some feral judge or who, who are the other judges? There's like Judge Joe something or oh, there is a Judge Joe. There's a, I mean, there's Judge Wapner, but I'm pretty sure he's dead. I've never really understood the legality of these things. Are, is any of it binding? Are they even real judges? I mean, I think they are real judges. I have no idea if it's legally binding. A part of me feels like it couldn't possibly be. But another part of me realizes I know nothing about the law. Well, it's like it's it's sort of like small claims court, right? So I guess small claims court is just the wild fucking west. Like you can do any <laughs> anybody can declare themselves a judge and uh, start arbitrating. It's just, it's just like, like uh, a balsa wood building that you could just set up in town, and as long as you're inside it, someone's a judge, someone's a bailiff, you know, some kind of case is going on. Yeah, you can declare yourself uh, a sovereign, sovereign <laughs> court, and just uh, fucking go to town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As long as you don't do anything more than fine people seventy five dollars and, uh, you know, for stealing a. Chihuahua or something. Right, right. I'm really um, shocked and uh, 
and worried that you think that Chihuahuas are are worth seventy five dollars. Well, it all depends on the Chihuahua. I, I suppose so. <laughs> are you saying the they're worth less than that? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying that they're they're living things that are like, hopefully worth more. <laughs> fucking trash dogs, just find a pile of them anywhere and grab a few. <laughs> You know, you go to your local Chihuahua depot, uh, your, your safe surrender He's got site. Tons of Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, at some point, we should probably talk about, um, you know, the book that we're reading. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we'll talk about the book. Yeah. We'll talk about. We should definitely talk about Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can talk about whatever else. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, we'll be the only podcast talking about Game of Thrones this week. Oh man, which is good. There are no, no others. Yeah, but I mean, we're we're not just a couple of regular Joes when it comes to Game of Thrones. We're we're one regular Joe, and then the internet's foremost Game of Thrones intellectual. I. I'm in my head weighing the the pros and cons of of thinking of myself that way. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm good because there are a lot of intellectuals that just will not touch it. <laughs> right. So because you're willing to slum it, yeah, 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 you, you can get that niche. Yeah, um, and yet basically every intellectual I found on Twitter does nothing but talk about drag race. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's you're well on your way to building up, uh, your, your Twitter follows that are pretty essential. Um, so just so the, the thousands of devoted listeners at home know what we're talking about. Right. You are writing for tour.com about game of Thrones. I am. I am. Yes. You're not one of these Johnny come latelys, you know, I like the show and then I caught up on the books. You've been reading these books since what, since they started coming out, which was when you were um, a teenager. Since, since my stepfather allowed me to read them when I was of an appropriate age to start reading them. So since, since 2032. Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> I'm still not allowed to read the last one. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, since I was, since I was 17. So, uh, that would be in, uh, a year that I, we shouldn't say on the air. Actually, I guess that doesn't matter. People can Google our ages pretty easily. So in 2000, I started reading these. Hmm. Oh, I mean me, cause I'm very irresponsible about my social media. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could probably find out anything they wanted to about us. We're probably all over the dark web. That's what those are the Absolutely. ads I get. By the way, <laughs> the yeah. Discover card promising to sweep the dark web and find all of your information, and then sort of just tell you that it's out there, so that you Whereas, can. Whereas, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a I had a status um, on Facebook this morning that that r- reminded me that I once. You know, wrote something about trying to find a seller on Craigslist who would sell me a man-sized golden cage. So I'm sure, like, I am, I am the subject of many dark web forums. You're probably um, the the subject of a dark web religion. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, there is a balsa wood box that someone's erected on the dark web where I am, I am judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, they take turns in the golden cage to be judged by. The great Tyler Maximus. 
That is really good. Sorry. I decided I, I made the bad decision to, in the middle of a very funny thing you said, have a bite of a breakfast. Oh, that's, I won't do that anymore. That's quality audio. Mm-hmm, You're mm-hmm. chewing, as Justin McElroy would say. Absolutely. I'm really excited to, um, you know, uh, 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 make jokes about how bad our audio quality is while also not improving it. Yeah, another just endless font of of uh, podcast comedy gold. It's really, it's really for. good. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna so we're gonna talk about you know the most popular television show in the world, mm-hmm. and we're gonna do it with real bad audio quality. And sometimes we'll make jokes about Judge Judy. And don't forget, we're also gonna talk about. Uh, a Hugo Award-winning science fiction novel or fantasy Absolutely. novel, I guess, probably Absolutely. more of a fantasy um, novel. My partner informs me it is the first Hugo to win the hat trick. Maybe not the first. It is a Hugo that won the hat trick, where every yeah, single no. installment. Right. Yeah, I heard that too. I think it is the first. Okay. All three okay. in the trilogy won the. Okay, so we should probably tell people what book we're talking about. Oh man, this that would is, be, wouldn't um, be great if we did that. Okay, this is a a novel called "The Fifth Season" by N.K. Jamison, and we're both reading it right now. Yes, and we figured we were going to talk about it, and it's super popular, and it came out a while ago, so we're really just hitting this at the crest. Yes, ab- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, as um, usual. You know that it's it's important to strike while the iron's hot, which is like two years after the last book in the series has already come out. Right. Um. <laughs> after the author has already moved on to a new series of novels, probably. Where we have done all of the research to know whether or not that's true. Yeah. Um. If, people, we're, if people come to this podcast, they know they're getting, uh, you know, a couple of real smart guys who do their homework mm-hmm. and uh, have postgraduate degrees and, and just really go the extra mile. For oh yeah. No, I mean, that's it's, it's, finishing the assigned reading. We said we were going to finish, which I did not do. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, this is, this is good to know. How um, far did you get? I, I, I got to the end of the reading that we assigned for ourselves, um, okay. but actually by accident, um, I, I actually went past it, but because I like, I, I plowed ahead, not paying attention to chapter titles, uh, thinking that I was way behind and turns out I, I actually read to chapter 10. So, you know, I'll try to, I'll try to separate what I know from that, from that extra chapter I read. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it contained all the shocking revelations and explanations that I've been waiting on. Okay, well, I got to page 130, which is halfway through chapter eight. Okay, so I'm not that far away. Yeah, sounds good. And I I listened to it as an audiobook, so I have no idea what page I'm on, but <laughs> but I can probably tell you the chapters. Cool. All right. So yeah. So uh, the fifth season by N.K. Uh, Jemison. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you have, oh, I guess we should at some point say who we are also. I feel like that's oh, a weird yeah. thing that we didn't do. Yeah. Uh, so my name is, my name is Tyler Dean. 
Um, and uh, I, I am a professor of Victorian Gothic literature and apparently the premier Game of Thrones online intellectual. Yeah, declared by me, and that's all that matters. That is, I mean, that is, um, that's... I, mean, I have not seen anyone funny. more intellectual writing about... D- I mean, I'm sure Tor has some other people writing about Game of Thrones. They've got, like, some dummies there just to do the recaps and stuff. I'm going to go ahead and say that all of them are brilliant, and I enjoy them very much. <laughs> <laughs> but you, as someone not affiliated with Tor.com, can say whatever, whatever you fucking want. Well, I haven't read them, so, you know, <laughs> I don't really care. I'm sure they're great. I'm sure. Uh, yes. But you bring this kind of extra element to it, being a Victorian Gothic literature scholar. That is that is true. That is who true. Who also nerds the fuck out on this Game of Thrones stuff. Yes. And. I stan it, as, as I just learned is a word. As the kids learn. Yeah, man. Wow. Twitter is just really taking you for a ride. Yes. I'm also new to Twitter. I guess there could be a podcast in here about just someone's reactions to joining Twitter for the first time, you know, 12 years in. Yeah. Well, actually I did. I wanted to give you a couple of pro tips. Uh Oh, um, if you don't mind from someone who's been on Twitter for 10 years Uh and, uh, has amassed 143 followers in that time. So, you know, I know a little thing or two. Mm hmm. About getting bots to follow me and <laughs> then not really giving them anything to react to. Right. Um, no, but just a couple things. One, nobody uses hashtags anymore. Oh, no. Yep. That's <laughs> oh, just, no. That's the whole deal. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could try to bring it back. Right. But good luck to you. Yeah. Swimming against that Twitter tide. Right, right. Okay, so that's one. Okay. Number two, if you're going to do like upwards of 50 tweets about 1990s rom-com multiplicity starring yes. Michael Keaton, that is, that's completely acceptable Twitter behavior, but <laughs> you got to do a thread. You can't just do separate tweets. Oh, no. Okay, so, so you, really, re- you reply really to this. You write one tweet and then you reply to that tweet and then you reply to that tweet and you get a thread going. Oh, okay. Yeah. That I way, because thought... otherwise there will just be tons of tweets out there and it'll start to annoy people and they won't be able to follow them. Right. But if you do it in, as a thread, then people will get to read the whole story of your multiplicity experience at their leisure and that's a really yeah no that's really good advice and oh, I'm, no it, so i'm deeply embarrassed at the moment um the other thing is then people can be like oh this thread fucking rules and they can just link to the first tweet and people can read the whole thread <laughs> or like fuck this thread right this guy and then you know yeah that'll happen too. i'll just get a so. lot of real real angry tweets from andy mcdowell um <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, just a slight amendment here, uh, Ben. I think you're I think you're a little wrong because I just saw a tweet by Senator Dianne Feinstein that has a hashtag in it. Oh. So, you know, when people in their late seventies are doing it, I think <laughs> Slay, I'm Queen. <laughs> yeah, and just to be clear, I, I got Feinstein. Hmm? 
I said I got Feinsteined. Yeah, yeah, you got you got Feinsteined, which is which is I guess like getting getting ratioed. Someday I'm gonna learn what that means. You'll but you'll know what happens to you. Yes, yes. Never happened to me because I've never gotten more than like seven likes on any mm-hmm. tweet. Um, but you know, <laughs> I still dream of getting ratioed one day. Yeah, no, it's gonna be real good. It's gonna be real good. People will be reminding me with no dumpster on fire gifts and uh, telling me I'm canceled. Oh man, I cannot wait to get canceled by, I guess, people with real good points <laughs> about my inappropriate behavior. Um, but, oh, you know what we never did? Um, we never actually said your name or oh, your yeah. area of expertise. Uh, we just talked about Twitter for 20 minutes. Yeah, that was by design, but I guess I will have to introduce myself. Uh, my name's Ben Miller. I'm. Do I have an ex- area of expertise? Well, okay, so I got an MFA in fiction mm. writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for in case anyone ever listened to this who doesn't already know us, that's how we know each other. Yes. Um, the good old days back at UC Irvine. Right, go Andy. We rip randomly rip assigned roommates. Yes. And now who would have thought here we are. Jesus Christ. You're like 12 years later. 12 years later. Yeah. 12 years uh, later. Recording. And a pod- uh, yeah. And we're, we're, we're barely recording the podcast. It took us about <laughs> six months of, um, not meticulous planning, but sporadic planning. Yes. And long periods of cr- procrastination to finally do this. So absolutely. I'm on a, I, I have you up on a vision board that I made. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm dressed as Lincoln, right? You're dressed as Lincoln. Uh, it's very important that, you know, that in my, I mean, if, if you'd like to picture Ben, I would say Ben looks quite a bit like, like Abraham Lincoln. And I look quite a bit like Orson Welles. But le- so, I mean, yeah. So maybe this podcast will be called Wells and Lincoln. I don't know. That's oh, a that's a really meeting. good podcast. They're both name. dead, so they can't really take us to a small frames court it's over true. it. <laughs> and they were both assassinated. Wink. Um, by the Illuminati. <laughs> by the Illuminati. <laughs> all right. All right. So. Um, <laughs> so N.K. Jemison. <laughs> N.K. Jemison. Who I'm sure loves being brought up after after a conspiracy theory about how Orson Welles was assassinated. Um, right. So okay. So I guess where, where should we start with this? What's your um, what's your uh, should we should we give our our hot takes? What's you know, the... let me let me start by just let's just talk about the things we like about it first. Okay. I got a few I got a few criticisms, but I also like a lot of things about this. Absolutely. Um, I'm not one. That, like to go nuts for world building just as mm-hmm. a thing in itself. But I got to say, this is like a pretty cool world that she's building. Um, this whole, the way it's, it's all predicated on this, you know, tectonic instability and sort of the world literally shaking and falling apart all the time. Um, yeah. And then there are people 
there seem to be people trying to exacerbate that and people trying to quell it. And yeah. That's, that, yeah, I find, I find that world building really, really great. Sorry, I interrupted though. Well, uh, people seem to hate the earth. Like the earth is kind of an epithet. Mm-hmm. Um, like father earth is kind of this evil figure that they all despise. Yeah. Just yeah. Because no, he's I really trying to kill them that. all the time. Mm-hmm. And other, other things, sorry, are we going to trade off? <laughs> I'm, I'm about no, to just jump magic. in here whenever you want. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, we'll just edit first that. Second, I was worried that if we talked over each other, um, that no one would listen to us, but then I remember that that's every podcast. So, um, and you know, they're not listening at this point anyway, with all the judge Judy and the Twitter digressions. Yeah. All the, all the judge Judy fans who tuned in for that have turned it off and, right. and all the, all the NK Jemison fans who, who tuned in for it have, <laughs> they just, they, they these clowns going like, to get around to We should also point out that, um, we are on at very different times, uh, and it is slightly earlier for me, so my apologies, America. Yeah, Tyler just woke up. Yes. The day's half done for me. Yeah, yeah. You're, the, that NyQuil's already starting to kick in for you. Um, okay, so in terms of things I liked about it, um, I'm going to second the world building. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really awesome. And I actually was going to talk about the Father Earth thing because uh, I found that such a striking, like, unusual way to to refer to uh um to the planet i've never seen you know a world or a mythology where where the earth is literally the villain um yeah but um i i also really really like the um uh i think this is a thing that i find a lot with fantasy novels where there's a kind of um like lack of understanding in the world building of how like magic would affect people's everyday lives um, and, um, it is, I mean, you know, as someone who has attempted, you know, unsuccessfully to, to write fantasy, I think it's a really problematic thing where like you, um, you know, if, if you're going to set, you know, a fantasy novel and say like the 12th century, then, you know, what technologies exist and what technologies don't exist as a result of people being able to do things beyond human comprehension. And so one thing I really like about this is the way in which like, the actual sort of tech level and, you know, roughly equivalent time period is almost impossible to tell. There's, you know, references to like toilets and indoor plumbing and, you know, really advanced sort of theories of like architecture and um, uh, geology. Uh, And at the same time, there also seems to be like almost no um, like permanent infrastructure because of the, uh, because of the, the, you know, like amount of tectonic activity and also just, um, you know, is it set in the equivalent of modern day? Is it set in the equivalent of, you know, the Middle Ages? Is it set, you know, in the ancient world? It's, it's, really, um, it's really hard to tell in a way that I, I find kind of delightful and feels like it follows that idea that, um, that magic would, would radically sort of reshape people's relationship to, like, forward movement with technology. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's part of why I keep... Um, thinking of it as sci-fi kind of, Mm -hmm, even though mm -hmm. it's really not, it's probably more accurately described as fantasy, but it feels sci-fi. You got these weird obelisks floating in the sky and these ruins of, uh, you know, older civilizations that couldn't survive all this tectonic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
kind of scattered across the landscape and it, it does just have that kind of, um, post futuristic feel to it a little bit, but otherwise, yeah, totally dislocated from time. You can't tell, you know, if this is supposed to be, uh, you know, a much earlier kind of incarnation of earth or one far in the future it really doesn't matter. Um, I also think you're right that fantasy writers have gotten more sophisticated about magic. Mm-hmm. It used to just be, you know, magic is great and it's free. And right. Just right. Do it like, you know, Gandalf or somebody just fucking did whatever magic he needed to. Absolutely. It, it actually doesn't make any like, Gandalf is a character that doesn't make any sense because he's by far the most powerful person. And he could just, if he wanted to, he could just kind of fix everything. Same is true right. of Dumbledore. Um, but there'd be no story if he did that. So you got to invent these artificial reasons why he can't. Right. Uh, but I think writers have gotten more sophisticated about saying, okay, every time someone does magic, there has to be a cost. They have to be drawing this energy from somewhere or there's a cost to them personally or whatever. And this book definitely explores that in an interesting way. Yeah, no, I really like how there's a, I mean, how the sort of like system of magic that she's created is, is feels a lot like physics, you know, it's about like energy transfer and there seems to be sort of like an active understanding of that within the novel, not just a, you know, a lot of times like a fantasy author will like sort of wink at an audience saying, you and I understand that this is what's going on, but people in this world don't. I like that, you know, over the, you know, various sort of like civilizations and iterations of, of, you know, the, the, the centuries, right. That there's, there, there is an understanding of um, magic as a kind of like transference of physical force, you know, that, um, that, you know, origins is that the, that's how I've been, Origin, yeah, that's that's yeah. how I've been pronouncing. There are a few names in here that I don't know how to pronounce, so we can maybe we can hash well, that out. But yeah, yeah, I mean, go I've on. I've been listening to the audiobook, and they have been saying, oh yeah, they've, they've said origin, but also like uh, when I talk about the the magic, they 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 say um, orogeny, and it's just like I don't. I mean, I feel like you really got to hit that O hard. Um, you can't, you can't make it a schwa, right? It's, it's it can't be erogeny. Uh, it's gotta be orogeny. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Or they travel to some orogenous zones. They travel to a lot of erogenous zones, according to the, to the audiobook reader. Uh, and I'm sure to the delight of, of NK Jemison. Um, oh, so other things I like, um, and this is, this has been a, I originally experienced this as a frustration and then I think came to see it as a real strength, uh, thus far, uh, which is like, um, you know, when, when I had it described to me for the first time, um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the fact it's, it's non-whiteness was, you know, sort of held up as central. And that's certainly true. Um, one thing that I really find myself, um, uh, struggling with, I think in a really good way is just how much, um, I am unable to sort of make uh, not just like temporal leaps, but also try to say like, okay, what kind of civilization is this? What kind of, of peoples are these, you know, is there like an equivalent on earth? And just by making it, um, you know, non-white civilizations and sort of taking away the like Eurocentric idea of how the world works. uh, It's a really um, uh, like 
fascinatingly uh, effective way to not be able to to easily read this as oh well this is basically you know um uh you know the united states or this is england or this is china or this is you know like there are yeah. no equivalents uh in part because it's it's not just that it's it's a non-white space but it's also the um the lack of sort of like european uh conventions of what cultures and empires and peoples look like, um, you know, at, at its core, right? It's it's being told through a lens that's like utterly, um, you know, alien to that, uh, which um, which I think is really cool. Um, I, you know, yeah, and I can see why, you know, at first that might feel like a criticism because anytime you you start, you know, a speculative novel like this, everything's new, everything's weird. You're looking for things to map onto to help you kind of get some footing so that you can, you know, use that as a base to understand the, the other things that are weird. And there's really nothing like that here. There's, I mean, there's maybe like cultural elements. I feel like of Africa and the middle East a little bit, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, but nothing that's a clear analog. And so you're just, at first you're just kind of lost. Right. Um, and then gradually things start to piece together. And I think that's one of my criticisms. But I, w- I was going to ask you, um, did you feel confused about why everyone hates the origins so much? And um, it does I, start to explain it. I, I think I, I, you know that actually didn't strike me as confusing. I mean, I feel like I've read enough sort of fantasy where magic is bad um, or magic is like, it makes you exceptional and therefore people will hate you in a kind of small minded way that that was, that was what I, I sort of started out with. Um, but, um, but yeah, I guess it, it, um, I think it's, it was, it was a little confusing to sort of say, okay, so what is the sort of exact relationship between, you know, people generally with origins and, um, uh, you know, are they are they helpful? Are they not helpful? You know, um, does the hatred come from jealousy? Does the hatred come from, you know, a sort of like uh, like lack of 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 understanding? Is it you know, is this like superstition about like witchcraft? You know, et cetera. Um, but that was a thing for you that you were that you sort of struggled with in the in the beginning. Well, I was like, logically, it seems like these people should be the most revered people in the society because they're the ones who have the power to stop the earth shakes from Mm -hmm. kind of disrupting or even destroying life kind of on a daily basis. Uh, But of course they do also have the power to kill and destroy. And there's a story about, you know, some, some guy in the past who did that. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. But basically what she finally says is, um, they hate the origins because the stone lore tells them to this right. cultural tradition kind of um scripture that everyone follows yeah yeah um i like yeah and 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 it's it's an it's interestingly like i i sort of like that the world is um so prescriptive right that the stone lore is this thing that both feels incredibly like um distant from like people's everyday lives but also you know something that you can't challenge 
Like it's it's a set of underlying assumptions. I mean, it's I guess it's you know religion, right? Mm-hmm. Except without it's dogma. Any, yeah, it's dogma, right? But but uh, yeah, totally devoid of any sort of spiritual um, entanglement, at least so far. Yeah, no, it seems like you know the deity is the earth, and the people don't love the deity; they hate it. Right. And the stone lore, you know, I, I don't think it's completely clear yet what the full scope of the stone lore is, but it's kind of about how to not piss off the earth. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a really fascinating, um, like, uh, uh, sort of element where, um, uh, so much of what the stone lore, uh, at least in the specific circumstance of like the first, you know, um, 10 ish, uh, eight, eight and a half to 10 chapters, um, is, is that it's, it, it, it also feels like there's an element of like, um, disaster, uh, preparedness, right? Like, you know, the stone lore is like both religion based you... around fire safety and right, right, right. Proper evacuation procedures. Yeah. And I, I really, I find that like such a great little bit of world building that, yeah, of course your dogma is going to become like, you know, very practical in a world where, um, you know, the earth is constantly trying to swallow you up and, uh, you have no real ability to, um, uh, uh, you know, to prevent it just to, to sort of like survive it and muddle through it. So, um, do we have like, do we, do you want to go to criticisms or there's still things that we, well, maybe like we don't need to categorically talk about criticisms, but, um, why don't we switch to like the characters? Sure. Basically, got three storylines going, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's Demaya, and then the name I'm not sure is is it? Do they say Cyanite or? Uh, I I have so Cyanite is how is how it's pronounced in the uh, in the audiobook. I had to look that okay. one up because I assumed it was like the color, uh, but no, it, it's I assume it's another stone since everyone at the uh, oh gosh, what is it called? The um, the like. Um, Origin Academy um, is called the, it's like the circuit or everyone there seems to have a, oh, the a, fulcrum, the fulcrum. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, everyone there seems to have a, um, like a, uh, a mineral or, uh, you know, name in some, in some right. ways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those two, and then there's Essun, right? Yeah. Whose name I can never remember. Cause she's only ever referred to as you. Right. So, right. That one storyline is in the second person, yes. which is a very, you know, very stylistically different thing for a fantasy novel to do, I would say, and a yeah, huge, yeah, yeah. huge artistic risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about that in a second, but, you know, which, which of these characters, see, I feel like I'm more invested in the other two storylines and not the, you, the sort oh, of second person storyline. Oh, I'm so I'm. I think I'm. I'm. I am interested in in Essen's story. I think because of that uh, that stylistic leap, just because it is the one that it's like, um, you know, uh, being identified with the reader, right? Where it's like, um, y- you know, you are being forced into the position of of identifying as this person. So I, I, I mean, I like them all. Um, I, I feel like a, now that I'm a ways into it and not just sort of, um, you know, uh, in the first few chapters, just sort of like trying to 
figure out who these people are, right? Um, they all do feel pretty necessary from like a world building standpoint, which I like. Uh, the you know, like you do need someone who is just learning the ropes of everything, right? Like Demaya seems to be. You need someone who is um, like very involved in like the core um, uh, project of of what orogeny is in order to like um, create a. Uh, uh, you know, to, to, to give the reader sort of a sense of like, hey, so, you know, how does this society actually work? And then with Essun, that sort of feels to be the most, uh, to me, on some level, like the most immediate, like, um, I guess the emotional stakes seem clearer to me in that. Um, but uh, again, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, that's a good, it's a good point. You've got the outsider the insider and then like the apostate, the, mm -hmm. the powerful, the one who's already powerful and experienced, but outside of the system. Right. Um, so the, you're right. That helps kind of show the world from these different perspectives. Um, so one of my problems with the second person narrative is that I actually don't feel as much of a sense of the stakes because, okay. So I know like, her son has been killed and her daughter is missing along with her, the, the father of her children. But because I don't really know those kids, it feels like kind of like generic stakes mm -hmm. to me. Like, Oh, a child's missing. But I don't really care about that child. I mean, I understand she does, but just to this point that I've read so far, it doesn't feel that personal to me. Yeah. I mean, there's an interesting, I mean, I guess, I guess I can see that. I, I think there's a really interesting, like, um, trick that's being pulled psychologically with, um, the fact that, you know, in the second person narrative, uh, she's so like gutted and hollowed out by tragedy and also so, um, like deeply, deeply practical in her worldview that you can tell that there are like emotional stakes, but all of it is kind of through this filter of trauma and dissociation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that does, that does, um, I think you're right that that does kind of limit it a little bit from being, um, something you might connect to in, in, a, in a different, you know, in a different novel. Uh, one thing that I kind of, I have mixed feelings about, um, is just the, what the character of that second person narrator is. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, so like, okay, there's a little bit of a, a long walk, but I'm, I'm in a writing group and, um, one of the novels is partially written in second person. Uh, and it, very weird because, um, I know the writer is not like, uh, read N.K. Jemison at all. And so it's this very strange, like, oh, wow, you have also come upon the exact same thing where you've got a number of narrators and only one of them is in second person and it is, you know, um, but part of, part of the point of that, I think is that like the, um, the second person feels like it has to be for a purpose. Right. And specifically, even though it's not like obvious from the start in this, and I, I still don't have any idea, like what the exact reason for it is, but there has to be a reason for the second person, right? Because it is being actively told by someone because you, the reader are not as soon it's that's, that's an, you know, like a a bond that's forged, uh, implicitly, uh, you have to justify it. And so there's a lot of like, um, 
idiosyncrasy in that, in the way that the second person narrates that I'm, I don't know that I'm super fond of. It asks the question or forces you to ask the question of who is talking, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who's giving me this information and why are they the first, the prologue or whatever, where it introduces that voice is very, uh, very much like, like a storyteller, like someone giving you information mm-hmm. and telling you what's important and what isn't and that kind of thing. And that sort of goes away a little bit. Yeah, I actually found myself not caring for that prologue uh, for that reason. Um, uh, I mean, not just because it goes away, because it, it sort of feels like it's... I mean, there's a storyteller aspect, but it's also like, I don't know, um, I'm a... And this is, I think, uh, maybe something where where we can be kind of we come at this from different uh, perspectives. Like, because all of my training is as a, a literary scholar, um, a lot of what I'm used to is seeing things as they are, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I, when I read something, I don't really think a lot about uh, how could this have been improved because um, I'm used to reading authors that have been dead for you know 150 years, and so we can't ask them to change their work. There's no like editorial instinct in me. Right. It's like, given what there is on the page, how do we deal with it? Uh, and, but one thing that really rankles me as a result of that is when someone feels like they're being very clever in their writing, because it feels like they're doing their job for me. And so like, there's a line in the prologue about like, Oh, you know, we have to anchor this to the personal. It can't just be gigantic, you know, political stakes. Right. Um, you know, so it's it's. It, it, I guess for those of you who haven't um, read, uh, there's a uh, you know it, it begins with the sort of destruction of the world, right? And um, and the narrator is con- is is consciously telling you that the the destruction of the world is in some ways too big a thing to to hang on to. So instead, um, we're also going to deal with Esun, who becomes the you know second person uh, narrator. Um, we're going to deal with the death of her child and her discovery of that child to sort of anchor us, but it's told very explicitly, you know, like how yeah, this and is I, good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Um, I, I appreciate that she, she doesn't want to like, she doesn't feel that the destruction of the world is enough because that's also generic stakes, mm-hmm. you know, the destruction of the world is the destruction of everyone and everything. And so it doesn't really matter. Um, it's the personal, you know, there, there's the, there has to be the personal fight and then the fight to save everyone. Right. Interlinked together. And so that's what she's trying to do. And, you know, maybe it'll get there by the end and kind of be fulfilling on both levels. We'll just have to see. Absolutely, um, and I, I think I think it's important for me to to iterate that like or, uh, to to iter- iterate. God, what was that word? It's important for me to state that I I, I do trust her now that I'm a ways in, but mm-hmm. that was a really odd sort of opening where it was just like, ooh, I don't I don't quite know if I trust this writer to not sort of prove their cleverness. You know, like I. It's part of why I hate, like, I don't know, like, Norman Mailer and Philip Roth and John Updike, where there's sort of this, like, you know, conscious in their prose stylings a lot of times, like, a, hey, reader, did you see what I did there? 
I did a pretty cool thing. I didn't know if you noticed, right? Mm-hmm. There could be a turnoff. So, and I sort of can't live if you don't notice, right? And right. Praise me for it. Yeah. It's it, and it, you know, it, it's really it, it. sort of it. It reeks of all the like white male straight fragility, which obviously N.K. Jemison does not does not have um, mm-hmm. at, at the core of 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 her her being. I would assume and hope, but. Um, you know, and I, I ended up trusting her more, but there was that like feeling of, oh no, is this going to be all about like, you know, the cleverness of the writer uh, themselves? Anyway, yeah, I probably have a higher tolerance for the trying to be clever, but failing to be clever mm-hmm. when you're trying to be is kind of the worst thing you could possibly do. So, one hundred percent, I don't at all feel that she's doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about her? Just like as a straight up prose stylist compared to other fantasy authors say. So I think she's, I think she is a better writer than many fantasy authors. Um, and, uh, I think going along with the sort of thing we were talking about, about like not quite sure what, you know, what the, the, you know, epoch or time period it takes place in is, is that she seems really unafraid to write in a very modern way. Um, in a, you know, in a very contemporary way, I think a lot of fantasy authors use the crutch of like, um, uh, of going back to sort of like, you know, antiquated writing conventions, mm-hmm. um, in order to, um, uh, you know, to sort of like sell the idea of, Hey, this world's different than ours. And it's not just in sort of the way that the characters speak or think, it's in the pro styling itself. Like God, um, in the prologue to, um, the first George Martin novel, the one that's actually called a game of Thrones. Um, there's just a sentence where he says, um, uh, you know, and this is, this is in the sort of free and direct discourse of, uh, of the prose itself. Right. Where he just says cold. It was, and like, no, 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 it was cold. <laughs> right? Like, cold it was is fucking bullshit and please don't do that. Like, a character can say that, but you, the writer, can't, right? Because mm-hmm. you wrote this in goddamn 1996. So, yeah. I, so I feel like on that level, like, she is really uh, pushing sort of the boundaries of that genre literary divide. And, and just to be clear, the divide between genre fiction and literary fiction is totally bullshit and stupid. But I feel like a lot of fantasy writers... Um, fantasy writers, especially, you know, more than other genre fiction writers, uh, sometimes it feels like there's like a, a generic pressure to, to not write in a, in a modern way and to not use your skills as a writer, uh, because you have so much other work that you're making the reader do just by doing all the world building. And I think she's totally yeah. proving like, Oh, Hey, you you can do both. Yeah, the the genre literary divide is not really a divide. It's a sliding scale or, you know, mm-hmm. a spectrum or whatever and there are plenty of genre authors who are more sophisticated than plenty of, you know, so-called literary authors and all right. those distinctions are just meaningless ultimately. Um all, all it all any of it really means is is quality. Is Yeah. Is it quality or not? And there's definitely a lot of quality to this writing. There was only one scene that I hated and that okay. reminded me of other like fantasy hacks, right? Um, which I don't think she is at all. But the first scene where you meet Cyanite and she's 
um, she's meeting with some woman and they're, they keep smiling at each other and taking sips from their little milk drinks. Right. Right. And the smiles keep just, they just keep fucking coming one smile after another. And each one means some subtle shift in emotion that is explained for us. I was just like, Ugh, no, thank you. Yeah. Smiles and other sort of facial expressions like that are one of the most cliched, you know, dialogue tricks when you feel like you're, you know, your dialogue isn't good enough to convey what's, you know, the subtext right. kind of thing. And, and sipping from, you know, the, the thing where someone lifts a cup of tea and then kind of cuts their eyes over the, over the rim of the glass right. and just anything like that. You just can't go there. Unless you're really, really good, you know, and you have a way to make it fresh. Um, but that was the only scene that kind of stuck in my craw. Everything else is, uh, you know, pretty accomplished, I would say. She's already written several books before this one, right? Yeah, so yeah. Pretty experienced author. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like that's actually a weird convention with a lot of fantasy authors. Not convention, but just sort of a, a thing that happens where, like... Fantasy authors, especially, you know, I guess genre fiction authors in general are so, um, you know, they, they have such like hard scrabble climbs to the top that um, by the time it's like, oh, this is their first novel. It's like, no, this is their first novel that anyone like read or bought or they got advertised mm-hmm. that they've been, they've been doing this for, for 10 to 30 years before, you know, before that. But yeah, it's interesting. I think about the scene you were talking about, um, yeah, with Cyanite and the... I think Feldspar is. The, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, with all the mineral names, um, I, I, as you're saying that, there's a part of me that's going like, oh no, I need to, I need to get all the smiles out of out of the novel that I'm working on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like I, I, I think that there's, I, I'm not actually sure what makes, uh, what makes that so cringeworthy or non-cringeworthy. Um, because a part of me wants to go, well, it, it, it can't just all be in dialogue. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sort of no, it can't. dialogue, it, I find myself, but yeah. Yeah. But, but you're right. It's the like, um, it's when something becomes like a, I guess sort of like a precious totem, right? I'm going to talk about all the thousand different smiles that someone could have in this conversation. It's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And um, there's just something almost indefinable about the way it's written that separates it from, you know, be, being something unique and being something totally hacky and it, it's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. And, you know, thankfully for the most part, she avoids those things. All right. Yeah. I think maybe we should call it there and we'll yeah. come back to this once we've read, maybe, maybe we should come back to this once we've finished it. Sure. Um, we may not have anything else interesting to say about it. I mean, I, I, I do feel like there's going to be a certain number of listeners I'm imagining listeners that we don't personally know. Uh, so, you know, that's very, very hopeful, but, um, there'll be listeners who will like, who will have read the entire book and listened to this as we go along and just be like screaming at, at there. Yeah. There is steam coming out of their fucking ears yeah, right now. Like, God damn it. The next goddamn chapter, everything you say gets reversed. Um, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine a couple of chuckleheads, talking about you know they've read the first hundred pages of game of thrones and they're just sitting there shooting the breeze about it can you imagine yeah. listening to that 
be like you know it's up. it's obvious that Ned Stark is is really the centerpiece of all of this, and we need I, to uh, spoilers for Game of Thrones, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and even if something happens to Ned, I mean Rob will be there to avenge him. So oh, thank God, thank God, because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it if there wasn't like a dashing, you know. Uh, uh, you know, young man born to privilege to avenge his father's uh, death. But, um, and Sansa's yeah. such a dumb little ditz, man. I wish she would just damn it. Right. If only, if only someone would just stop paying attention to all the women in this book. <laughs> all right. So with that el- elegant segue, yeah, let's yeah. talk about motherfucking game of Thrones. Oh, Sorry, this is where we need a, a soundboard. Yeah, um, we need a sound effect. We need a... <laughs> well, we, we definitely can't license that music. Right. Uh, right. Um, but, but you know, I'm sure there's generic death. versions of the, the pew-pew-pew noise from basketball. Right. <laughs> and sure. an air horn. That's, that's what it's called. <laughs> it's called an air horn. <laughs> it does not make a basketball pew-pew laser. noise at all. Right, right. Um, so yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, so we're recording this on a Saturday. It'll be a new episode tomorrow night. Right. Episode uh, two of the final season. Yeah. On the Home Box Office Network. Right, right. Um, Just, you know, in case they want to throw us a, you know, nice little something, maybe a screener copy. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. As someone who currently, you know, writes um, uh, for Tor.com uh, on, on Game of Thrones um, and uh, and does, like, reactions to individual episodes, I know that screener copies are really easy to come by and that HBO just flings them around, and I definitely don't have it's to stay Just up. a guy frisbeeing them out into the into Absolutely. crowds of people. Yeah, they've, yeah. Got a, they've got a screener copy cannon that they just... <laughs> So, okay. As the air horn blows, they they're just machine gunning screener copies into the into right. a s- sea of people. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, okay. So, what do you think of last week's episode? Do you like it? I so okay. Um, I have two feelings about it. I have many feelings about it, but I, I'm sort of two minds about it. Um, I think that all Game of Thrones season premieres, um, with you know the exception of the pilot are definitely sort of catch-up episodes. They are, it's hard to make them exciting because there's so much place setting that you have to do. Um, and But given that it was a, um, you know, our last season premiere, I thought it was a really good version of that kind of episode where you're just kind of checking in with people and trying to establish the stakes for the season. Um, yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. You get... You get the reunions you've been craving and and or terrified of. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to, yeah, exactly. Set the stakes. Okay, you know the Army of the Dead is on the march. You know right. there are machinations going on in King's Landing. Um, you know that John has been raw-dogging his aunt. Right, right. And, Absolutely. And he does not give a fuck. He <laughs> is only mad that his dad lied to him. Right. He's not his right. real dad. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Zero reaction to the fact that Sam's like, 
you know, just earlier today by that waterfall, you were <laughs> just going to town on your aunt. Oh God. I actually, I actually, I do think there was, um, a really interesting, like in the moment where Sam is telling him that, um, it is all like tight close-ups on John's face. And there is like, uh, you know, bless Kit Harrington's heart. I don't know that he's the best actor in the world, but, um, but I did think that there was a really interesting sort of complexity of someone like trying to deal with like four or five different, um, yeah. Like life I do think existential horrors at once, you know? Yeah. I think it's realistic that you might sort of fasten on the one that's a little less fundamentally disturbing. Right. As disturbing right. as it is, you might pick one that's a little more like, you know, my dad lied to me. Like everyone's dad lied to them at some yeah, point. Yeah, um, yeah. My dad told me that Roy Orbison was blind, for instance. Um, <laughs> did he, <laughs> did he think Roy Orbison was blind or he was he, just telling you about the Roy Orbison you? had a light sensitivity. <laughs> like, that, uh, you know, that he explained to my like eight year old self as like, eh, he was blind. Uh, <laughs> and that's why he dressed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, your dad told you Roy Orbison was blind. John's dad told him he was his dad when he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. Anyway, it makes sense to me that he would fixate on that and not, yeah. you know, take a deep dive right away into the fact that. Right. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, running out of ways to like, describe what he did. But yeah, um, my dad lied to me is also like, oh, my dad's dead. It's cool. Um this is stuff that like I'll have to work out in therapy, not like, Oh, right, right now there's some, actual right, well, I'm going to bring that up with the maester at our next yeah, session. Yeah. Right, uh, but right. for now, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely going to have to talk about the dad thing with him too. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> let's just take it one thing at a time. Right. Uh, one thing that I'm really sort of interested in, in terms of this is like, uh, how much, I guess as someone who, you know, has loved these books for, um, uh, oh God, uh, 19 years. I just had a very, very dark, like understanding of the passage of time. Um, you know, I, you know, for almost 20 years, I've been like, you know, uh, standing for these books. And, um, I realized that like, you know, obviously shipping for them. No, oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't want it. I don't, (laughs) we don't in this household, we don't ship. (laughs) Um, but just the idea that like, uh, there are so many, um, things that I've sort of assumed about the end of game of Thrones, both from the novels and, and from the series. And I was realizing with this season premiere, like almost all of those things are things that have already happened now on the show. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's been so much lead up to the revelation that John is, um, uh, Daenerys's nephew, that I actually hadn't put a lot of like mental thought towards what's going to happen when that gets revealed, you know, or, yeah. you know, now that John and Daenerys yeah. have formed a political alliance, uh, how is that going to fall apart? Because obviously it's going to, or it, it will, you know, get close to. And I'm realizing like, oh, it's all uncharted territory in my own head, not just in terms of like what Martin hasn't written. Yeah. You get to be surprised along with the rest of us now. You get mm-hmm. to know how we felt when the red wedding happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if there'll be another moment like that. I mean, we're pretty much expecting a lot of people to die at this point. I mean, 
ain't nobody coming through this battle of Winterfell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've joined a bunch of like, nobody's going to be like, Oh, that was fine. Right. Right. I've joined a bunch of, uh, like, you know, game of Thrones, Deadpool's right. To like figure out who's going to die. And I'm realizing (laughs) that in my head, like, I can't really imagine anyone. I mean, I can imagine plenty of people dying, but it's this weird thing of like, because the story is ending, I'm no longer thinking in terms of what will their death do to affect future events. It's now just, Oh, I guess anyone could die. Yeah. Now it's just, what will it do to fuck me up emotionally? Right. Right. Like like if, if Podrick dies, what will happen to me? God, yeah. Um, and I, I realize I feel like everyone who is who feels really expendable at this point is is also kind of a fan favorite. So we're in a place where like mm-hmm. the emotional stakes have never been higher, even though the like narrative stakes are pretty low since it's all it's all ending, you know. But like, I don't know. I was thinking like, okay, so we have like Tormund and Brienne and who are not actually a couple yet, but who, you know, clearly the writers and, and the fans want to be a couple or yeah. want to explore that. If I was ever going to ship something, I guess I'd ship that. Yeah. But I think I don't really need to, cause it's written into the show. So I don't need right, to right. pretend. SS Torian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't need to like ship Drogon and the sand snakes or whatever. Right. I mean, that would be real awkward on all levels, especially now. But don't people, don't you think every possible permutation has been? I mean, I think, I think my knowledge of the internet is that yes. um, If there is some really unpleasant combination of people, probably someone has devoted a lot of time to hoping they'd get together. Yeah. I mean, that's not Um, even getting into the dark web. Right. I mean, we're going to have to ask Discover Card what people are doing out there. Uh, <laughs> Forget my social security cards? number. I want to know if anyone's shipping, you know, Stannis and Liana Mormont or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want those people jailed. Is Discover Card's dark web, um, like, uh, like protocols, just like one guy in a room who's like, there's like a food outside his door. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a piece of paper taped on the door, you know, from the inkjet printer that says like dark web unit, and uh, <laughs> it's just one guy in there sweating with his tie askew. Absolutely, just very seeing, important. Just, just awash in horrific images all day. And and it's, I think it's very important that we note that the 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 printed piece of paper. Uh, has the dot matrix things on the edge of it because yeah. they, the tear offs, yeah. Yeah, they've yeah. given them all the oldest shit from the right. from the basement that they they don't want to use. <laughs> he's Absolutely. using he's using one of those um, iMac desktops that's like neon turquoise. Yes, yes. Just oh, man. bullets as he tries to handle the dark web. Anyway, we uh, love the nineties, don't we? We just <laughs> fucking we can't get enough of those bad boys. Um, but yeah, no, so I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, so, okay, so like, okay, so Tormund and Brienne, right, are fine. They're a fan favorite couple. We also have like Grey Worm and uh, Misande and like one person in that quartet has to die. Like they can't have both like uncomplicated, sweet romances 
in the in the series just get to the end without a problem. No. Uh so that's that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. There's really no there's no good outcome. Cuz cuz there's nobody that you even really want to win. I mean, I guess John maybe. Ooh, ooh, I don't that's a that's a Well, okay. Let's talk about your girl Sansa. All we right. all know you love Sansa. If people yes. haven't gone to tour.com and read your stuff, they need to get themselves over there and read it. Yeah, you just wrote a big thing about Sansa. I did. I did. And part two is coming out, what, next week? So, uh, w- maybe. Maybe. Um, when I Whenever finish they... writing part two, oh. <laughs> <laughs> then it will go into an arbitration right. process. Um, <laughs> it's mostly done. Uh, but yeah, okay. So, no, I mean, I think, I mean, like, uh, okay, so there are characters that I'm interested in um like that i think would be good rulers and i know like this series and george martin well enough that like he won't just let them rule right like so like i think sansa and Tyrion are pretty good examples of what leaders look like um at this point in the series uh in, in the tv series um and I feel like it's impossible that either of them ends up on the other Iron Throne, right? Mm-hmm. I think Sansa is pretty much unkillable. Like, it would be... This is not just, like, wishful thinking on my part. I feel like um, you would really have to justify um, killing her off after putting her through so much suffering over the course of this series. Um, and... You know, the show hasn't always been great about that, but I think it does sort of understand that, like, you can't just kill people because um, because you want to or because it would be shocking. There has to be some narrative reason. And I can't see them doing that. I can mm-hmm. see them killing Tyrion at the 11th hour. Like, that's that's a possibility to me. But again, like, not super likely. But also, like, I don't think either of them will, will end up in power. I mean, I, I, I feel like the world is too grimly realist to let a, you know, like a rising star lady or, um, uh, you know, or a, or a dwarf that, uh, that people have like, a you know, a bigoted reaction to off the cuff end up in a position of power. Mm-hmm. Unless it's that, you know, the sort of final message is that the world has been so transformed by all these events that somebody who's a complete misfit yeah. is ultimately the only one who can step into this sort of, you know, shattered husk of a place. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of different, you know, compelling narrative arcs. There's also kind of having it come down to John and Daenerys mm-hmm. and then all the complicated shit going on between them. And, you know, John's starting to realize that she's kind of a psycho. Right. And not actually, fit to be a ruler. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be a ruler, but he is kind of fit for it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I feel like, I feel like John and Darius are the two sort of like, obviously there are like much bigger extremes on game of Thrones in terms of like people who are cruel and people who are compassionate, but John and Darius are sort of like at opposite ends of the acceptable range of cruel and compassionate where like, Mm-hmm. Neither of them is the worst of what they are, but John is too soft and accommodate. You know, like the whole. I, I really like that the whole thing they've set up for his arc uh, right now is like 
when you abdicate power, even if you abdicate it for reasons you think are good, um, you still leave a power vacuum, you know, mm-hmm. like I love that, that Sansa and Leona Mormont and, and all these other people are, are sort of furious at him for, uh, for bowing to Daenerys, even if we as, as watchers might think like, okay, that's not the worst idea in the world, but it is like, oh, but right. We're just regular Joes, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone wants John to be uncompromising as long yeah. as he agrees with them. And so he's hey. in an impossible position where he has all of these, uh, you know, competing factions that, and he needs all of them and they all need him to sort of act in an absolute fashion the way they want him to. Right. And he's just, he's just super not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he can't. <laughs> and, right, right. and he, even if he could, he wouldn't because that's just not who he is. Yeah. And I mean, beyond, beyond just, yeah, beyond it just not being who he is and it's an impossible situation. It's also that like, I feel like, I don't know, was I talking about this with you? I can't remember. Um, but there's a, at the end of, or in the like, you know, penultimate episode of, of last season, he and Beric and Darian are talking about like how they've been brought back for a reason. And Beric is so clear that the reason for him is that he's going to die at some point doing something important. Uh, and that like his life is already forfeit. And I feel like John's life is also already forfeit, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it is too, too optimistic to be like, the right ruler got brought back from the dead, you know, so that he could rule is like, Ooh, Hey, it's, it's super Christian uh, in a way that George Martin just never seems to be. And mm-hmm. and also like, it's, it's too optimistic an idea. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like the, the person who's going to be a good ruler has to be someone who <laughs> the normal, like rules the world apply to. So I, I can't, I, I have a lot of trouble seeing John surviving. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay, what about Cersei and Euron Greyjoy? So, was, God, um, I didn't, hmm? I didn't find that that convincing on her part. Um, you know, like what precisely? Just like, 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 would she actually do this? Yeah, I mean, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like um, Cersei's arc has always been a character that. Um, both like completely recognizes the limitations of what she is allowed to do and also is trying to subvert them. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the whole thing with Euron is like, Oh, he's, she knows that she can't actually refuse him because he's the last like ally she has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, at the same time, it's also like, it is very much sort of against her, um, her MO to like, you know, give in to, to asshole men for, you know, without a very clear, uh, you know, recompense. Um, But it seemed to me like the implication was that, you know, she, she could refuse him, but she didn't, she sort of ultimately didn't really want to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe she's, okay. So she's become estranged from Jamie. Right. He's lonely. Is this the first time she's ever fucked anybody else other than Jamie? No, no, no. She's got 
Uh, okay, so no, I mean, in addition to Robert, there's also Lancel. There's also uh, and in the novels, there's oh, that's lots right, of people she's sleeping with. For, God, I just had some. I felt like I had some memory of her saying, like, I've never been with anyone but Jamie. That uh, That is Jamie saying he's never been with anyone but Cersei. Oh. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Backwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Um, I am also disappointed about the elephants. I do need to say, like, because I did watch, like, the last episodes of season six right before I watched the premiere. And it was, like... I had forgotten, you know, in the like year and a half since the last season finale, like, oh, oh, they did say elephants. I'm really excited to see those elephants. Yeah, I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about the elephants. I had no <laughs> expectations regarding elephants. Was that just yeah. them being like, was that like a wink to the audience? Like, listen up, assholes. We spent all our money on the dragons and the white yeah. walkers. We right. can't have fucking elephants. Sorry. I feel like it was, and I feel like I, I don't know, I, I, maybe this is just says a lot about me, but I've got like a weirdly, I'm weirdly into being like actively trolled by, by television shows. Uh, (laughs) But you're going to love Twitter. Oh man, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about all the disappointment. Um, I'm excited to, to wait for, uh, for Daniel Orberg to to reply to me all the time and then to just wait and realize. Like, yeah. Probably yeah. a good idea. A good way to do that would just be to tweet at him constantly. And, and yeah, I'm excited to tweet at people. I respect every day until they block me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> now that's standing. That is standing. Uh, that or that or like, you know, I guess the other option is to become famous enough that people can't afford to block me, even though I tweet at them every day. Uh, so that's, that's a new goal. (laughs) Right, right. Oh man. Don't, we're not going to talk about that that guy. Um, (laughs) that, that joker. Um, Oh man. I, I almost had any, any insult words, but I forgot them all. Um, yeah. So no, the source of your own thing, I think is, I mean, it is, it's very sad and I sort of feel like there's a, I'm interested to see what they do with Cersei um, for a couple of reasons. One is that, like, I think she... uh, I was very convinced of her death going into this season. Uh, And I think there's a real... um, I mean, so in the novels, there's this whole thing where there's a prophecy that uh, she will die with the Valonqar's hands around her throat, and Valonqar is a high Valyrian word for little brother, and so uh, part of it in the books is that Cersei is like convinced that the little brother is Tyrion, and obviously that means it's Jaime. Um, and that seems like a very like clear, like, you know, well, obviously Jaime's going to kill her. There's, po- there's poetry in that. But I feel like in the show, they've kind of made it hard for that to happen. Um, in part because of like the really bad, like, um, uh, sexual assault that occurs that in the books is not a sexual assault and that the showrunners later were like, oh, was that a sexual? We were not. It's ambiguous. It's like it wasn't at all ambiguous. Uh, but that relationship feels like it's just much more complicated now. And so there wouldn't be any like thrill in having Jamie kill Cersei. And also there wouldn't be anything like 
ultra tragic and it falls in this weird in between space where it's like, well, that'll just feel unpleasant. Yeah. But maybe <laughs> we'll see. I just can't get past the fact all these people smell horrible. I mean, you're on Greyjoy. Dude's yeah. been on a ship. He's all dirty and sweat. Just kind of, he's got like that perma grime on him. Like, yeah, it's like no amount of baths is going to wash that off. And I can't tell if that is makeup on him or if that is just Pilo Asbeck's facial hair because it's the worst facial hair I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and I, I, I mean, the, the same thing is true of John and Daenerys. You're just like, oh. Oh, no, that is, yeah, that is Those bad. people, like, then you think, like, man, back in medieval times and stuff, uh, that was nasty. It's a nasty I don't know how our, <laughs> I don't know how our species made it through that. Yeah, yeah, one almost sort of goes like, oh, you know, the Army of the Dead's going to come with their, their cold odor dampening, you know, frost and just fix all this. <laughs> the army of the dead is like Febreze for Westeros. They're just going to bring their icy glacial scent <laughs> down <laughs> through the, the Southlands and cleanse it all. I like that the icy glacial scent is a hundred percent. I'd like, I'd drink that Gatorade flavor. <laughs> yeah, that, that shit exists. It's white and it's delicious. It's white. It's white and delicious is my favorite Gatorade slogan that <laughs> caused massive, massive problems across. across. Yeah. They had to pull that ad pretty quick. <laughs> um. Although, although, you know, not to, um, not to get real, real serious about this, but did you see that ancestry.com ad? <laughs> I was just thinking of that. I, yeah. I saw a headline about it. I didn't see the ad. Oh, just, I mean, just like, <laughs> it's white and delicious is like so not too far for American advertising agencies. It was depicting <laughs> like a, a loving relationship between a slave and a slave owner or yeah, something. Then, yeah. No, in the, in the commercial, he's like, we can flee to the North where we'll be free to love each other as we always have. And it's like, Oof. I mean, A, historically, no. B. <laughs> B. B, just no. Just... Who is that ad for? Yeah. Like, there's two options. There's two equally horrible options. It's for One, people who loved Green Book. It's for people who love, okay, yeah. So so that is the first option. That is for people who love Green Book. That's pretty horrifying. B, it's for, it's for like, African-American people that want to know that they're, you know, a white slave owning ancestor was quote unquote, one of the good ones. Like they're just, it's just so bad either way. And God, God, Mm. it's everything. It's everything I've ever thought like ancestry.com has the potential to be. There was like, Oh, but it won't. Oh no, it is. It just is now. Yeah. These things are becoming a real Pandora's box, aren't they? Especially now that we know that like they're not accurate at all. Right, right. They're not accurate. Guessing. They're gonna they're gonna incite lots of like racial tension and you might get like, you know, accused of murder for a murder you committed if you use them. You might get accused of murder for a murder you did commit? Yeah, well yeah, yeah, They they caught the Golden State Killer through one of those uh I think. I think the Golden State Killer. Oh, because um, a relative of his did it. 
Oh, oh. Like, you know what? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. I just thought he was old. And I want to like, know if Grandpappy was, was from really Sweden or. History. <laughs> I'm just going to order away for one of these magic kits. And it's going to be great fun as I sit here in my murder den. <laughs> Think about how, how uh, Estonian I am. Uh, this. Oh. Uh, yeah. Sure. I just, I mean, he sent he sent lots of blood in the mail before, but this is the first time he's done right. so with a real purpose. Uh, okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, murderers probably don't use ancestry.com. But does that mean like all all the samples that go to ancestry.com are are being like fed into the central database or whatever that the cops use? Um, I guess, or they just like in certain high profile cases decide to do a cross check or something. (laughs) I mean, mean, it's a crazy new world. It's a crazy new world where all police work is asking ancestry.com for matches to all of their, all of their unsolved cases. As long as those cases are like likely to bring a lot of attention on the next season of Bosch, the the next season of Bosch. This is Bosch sitting at a computer with Ancestry.com open in his browser. <laughs> and his daughter oh showing him how to use it. Oh, man. Harry Bosch takes on genealogy.org. <laughs> um, I, so I, 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 have you been watching Bosch? I realize this is very much in the wheelhouse we set out for ourselves. Yeah, no, we're, we're, a big, a we're a big Bosch household. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. Boshies. Mm-hmm. Um, New season but, uh, came yesterday, so that's why it was fresh in my mind. I, I have, I have, I watched the first two seasons and I really liked them, and then I, I broke up with my partner, and then I didn't go back to it after that. Mm-hmm. Those were unrelated. It was just sort of like there was a reason to not watch any TV. And yeah, then, yeah, I need to go back to that, but. Um, it's uh, a- L.A. sightseeing show. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Great pleasure in visiting all the like kind of local haunts that you know. Oh are... yeah, no, the 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 Johns that uh, was near where we used to live. Um, I mean, you now live in a in a different state, and I live you know another mile down the road. But um, yeah, but yeah, Bosch is a he's a Hollywood detective. Yeah. So almost everything he does is like right in that area in like the, you know, Hollywood, East Hollywood, yeah. Little Armenia area. Absolutely. No, yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was like such a, <clears throat> such a clear, like correct use of, of that John's that I used to go to that like on the, cause on the show it's like, oh yeah, this is totally a front for the, the Armenian mob. And it was like, oh yeah, you know that that actually tracks with my experience. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, actually, mm-hmm, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, about ninety percent of the um, things I see about Bosch these days are like my art history friends, like posting about how disappointed they are because they thought Amazon had a show about Hieronymus Bosch. The, the the Dutch um, right. artist. Um, not, not Hieronymus Bosch, the detective. <laughs> right. But yeah. They have to season six now? What's up with? Uh, I think this is season five. Mm. The last one, season four, deals with a murder, uh, 
a high profile attorney who's murdered on Angel's flight. Oh, oh my God. And sorry, yeah. like a a crazy like flash of like I did not know that about the last season, but I remember my dad telling me about a murder mystery he was reading that was set you know, when mm-hmm. the murder took place on Angel's flight and was like, oh fuck, that was a that was a Harry Bosch novel. Yeah, they do. They take those novels and they I think they tend to like blend two or three of them into one season. Okay. Um but yeah, one of them. I've actually read that one too. I don't like those books at all. The guy's a terrible writer. Um, I've never read any of them. I don't even know who it is. I'm like <laughs> it's not Elmore Leonard or P. D. James, who are the other mystery writers that my dad has read all of them like three or four times. No. And I think those guys are definitely of a, of a higher class. Gotcha. Um, Gotcha. But you know, as far as like being police procedurals, they're super effective. Um, and like the, the Bosch character has a fun backstory where he's, I mean, you probably saw this in the first couple seasons, but he lives in this like super fancy modern house in the hills with this amazing view out over the city. And it's, it's because they, you know, Hollywood turned one of his cases into a movie and he, like paid him to be a consultant on it. Right, right. So he used the money to buy this fancy house. But in every other way, he's just this kind of hard scrabble working class dude. Yes. Um, and uh, and I do love t- me some Titus Welliver. He yeah, has, he's great. He's and, yeah. and like really fucking amazing eyebrows. I feel like. There are not enough men with amazing eyebrows in in Hollywood these days. You and Mary need to talk about this because she judges everyone by their eyebrows. Is she also a Cara Delvenue fan? Or uh, um, I think Cara Delvenue is a terrible actress. Well, maybe not. I don't want to judge, but I have not liked things I've seen her in. Yeah, <laughs> I do think she approves so of her eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the only thing so. I've seen her in was that Valerian and the Thousand Planets. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh my god! Which was just that cringy. Was, oof! I did see it twice in the theater, uh, but that was because I'd already committed to seeing it with someone else back when I assumed that it was going to be, you know, the next Fifth Element, and uh, I was very wrong. It was trying to be, but it was way, way off. That whole Rihanna scene it was just like, what the. F- Fuck. I will. I will actually go to go go to bat and say I thought the Rihanna scene was the best thing in it because <laughs> Ethan Hawke as like a cowboy pimp playing the organ is is actually the kind of thing I want to see more of in films. But, yeah, actually. So the the initial Rihanna scene was pretty good. Then it like drags on into a terrible, drawn out scene. Uh, I can't even remember what's going on, but they're at some like big dinner for weird animals. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. The big weird animal dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I believe Cara Delvigny is, uh, is dressed as a lemon. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that was fun. Um, but yeah, between that and suicide squad, I've really appreciated her eyebrows. <laughs> Oh, oh man. Well, we're coming up on an hour and a half, so just in the interest of maybe keeping any listeners ever, we should probably yeah. wrap this yeah, thing this has up. Been, this has been what we are tangentially uh, uh, describing as as Lincoln and Wells, the, the Harry Bosch fan cast. 
slash book report club slash book report club slash series of judge judy jokes slash listen to tyler eat i mean what more could anyone ask for so let's hit that outro music yeah yeah you just got us sued we're out of business already sued luckily i'm tone deaf enough that they can't prove that that was me actually trying to sing that one uh so we'll have to we'll have to bring us before judge judy and see what they can see see how much blood they can get from this stone all right (laughs) guacamole all right i will uh we'll talk we'll talk soon maybe in episode two i believe well, there's going to be an episode two of Game of Thrones, so I don't know how we cannot That's rise true. to meet the challenge. Absolutely. All right. All right. Bye. See you later, man. Yeah. See you. Yeah.